0: This is Time Signatures with Jim Irvin, a podcast and radio program presented by the Capital Area Blues Society in Lansing, Michigan. Most any contemporary musical style can trace its roots back to the blues. Explore the blues and its connections with captivating interviews, lively discussions, and news from the world of the blues. your host, Jim Irvin, baby, I'm home.
1: You know, I, I remember recording the first couple of episodes of Time Signatures with James L. Williams oh, yeah. and with Freddie. Oh, yeah. And James was over here doing the bass licks, just like, <laughs> like you were doing the guitar <laughs> legs. <laughs> well, you know, 15 years on
2: the road doing Michigan Roads, and I've seen all the Michigan Roads. It's kind of like, you know, when you hear that, it's like, oh, yeah, it just automatically comes back.
1: <laughs> well, And, you know, it's it's kind of ironic because when Dedalian told me to find a song, and I've told this story before, this was the very first song that I I played and I went wow twenty six seconds that's a great intro and I I called the Dalian, and he goes well if you can get permission from Freddie we'll go with it sure and Freddie's like yeah go ahead oh yeah <laughs> so oh, it's yeah. really cool yeah. yeah but anyway I want to welcome everybody to Time Signatures I'm your host Jim Irvin and I am really honored today to be recording live from a secret location in the only. Eating Rapids on Earth with the one and only man, it's it's an honor to have you here. Fifteen years with the Root Doctor, mixed flavors, Jack Pine Savages. And and Lisa's knocking things over. She's having <laughs> Like I said, we're recording live. Bill Malone, it is so good to have you. Well,
2: thank you for having me. This is an honor, it's a privilege, and I've been looking forward to this for a long time.
1: I have, too, because uh, Lisa gave me some heads up on a couple of things that I need to ask you about. And sure. So we're just going to dive right in here. Uh, you you know, obviously, you've got a, a ton of experience in the music industry and um, in, in the greater Lansing area with blues and, in general. Um, or specifically, I should say, that seems to be like that was your your main flavor, correct?
2: Yeah, it was. Um, you know, really, uh, when I first come to Lansing and formed my first band, we were doing rock, and I wanted a blues band so bad. Mm-hmm. And the guys that were, were with me, they really didn't want to get into, um, you know, rock and roll. and But that was my... My background, I mean, I'm, I'm a hippie, born in the 50s and grew up in the 60s and 70s during that era sure. know, in high school, and that's what we played. So that was really my thing in
1: high school, you know, rock and roll. So don't don't get too far ahead of me. I want to, I want to, mm-hmm. I'm going to ask you the question and sure. kind of drag you back for just a minute, but what is your earliest memories of music that you can recall?
2: Ooh, well, music has been in my life. You know, my dad was a big jazz fan, so mm-hmm. We played music all the time, um, Coltrane, Miles Davis, mm. uh, Jimmy Smith. That was one of his favorites. As far as I can remember, listening to music from an early, early age. My mother was very uh, into, you know, uh, gospel, and Mahalia Jackson was one oh, yeah. of uh, My grandmother, you know, that was her favorite. So right? I remember those days and her singing and playing all the, you know, early um Mahalia Jackson's songs, even, you know, when she passed, that was uh, one of her requests was, you know, the upper room. And music has always been a part, you know, and being from Motown. You know, mm-hmm. We're going to talk more about that, too. <laughs> yeah, so I remember music as far as I can remember. That's cool.
1: Any favorite songs
2: when you were growing up? Wow. <laughs> now, that's... That's a toughie because, golly. Well, any
1: of the, any of that po- that pop out in your mind? Any anything that you can remember it was one of your favorite jams when you were a kid or something?
2: Jimi Hendrix, hey Joe. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Jimmy go. I, I just remember that from golly when I first started playing. But then, you know, the mu- uh, Motown, um, being from Detroit, we, you know, had a a doo-wop band, you know, we did a lot of that during the days, and I was a big dramatic fan and I loved you know, those guys, because they were local. And uh, some of their early records, I Can't Get Over You, you know, was one of mm-hmm. my favorites, you know, uh, Temptations. I mean, there's. It's when you say favorites, it's kind of hard because I I see, like, <laughs> five, six songs right off the top of my head, uh, you know, that uh, I can reflect on. But, okay. uh, yeah, that probably, Hey Joe, was one of the ones that really stuck
1: with me and still does. So, Bill, that first guitar amp—a gift from your parents. Mm. I've been—I've been looking. I've been—I've mm. been cruising the uh, the the Root Doctor page mm. and stealing little tidbits. Mm. You got to tell me the story, man.
2: Well, 1969, and I'm not dating myself, so <laughs> you guys don't even think about it.
1: It was four years old. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but uh, my uh, my mom and dad went to New York for a vacation, mm-hmm. and my dad brought back. A guitar and a little small amp, so it was a Fender Telecaster, and it had this little small amp. It had a four inch speaker, cardboard you know type amp. Right, and man, I thought this was the greatest thing since sliced bread. And my cousin, I used to go over to his house and play on his guitar. He uh, was a big West Montgomery fan, so he taught me bumping on Sunset. By West Montgomery, so I would sit down in the basement with that Telecaster, and, and that was the only thing I could play. And I would just go over and over and over and over on that guitar. Um, I just loved it. It was a blonde <laughs> with a maple neck, and oh man, I just—you still got it? No, but I, ha- I have a upgraded. I have a blonde Telecaster. Okay, but all it's right. uh, it's. Uh, <laughs> More expensive uh, vintage than the one I had then. Right. I, I kind of wish I had those guitars back then, you know, but I didn't know anything about value and yeah, yeah. You know, vintage and all that.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Now, I've heard from some within your circle that you grew up in the Metro Detroit area. Is that yes. correct? Yes. Okay. And during the height of the Motown era, um, mm-hmm. you even had some close ties with some of the greats of the day. Have you got oh, yeah. Any, any fun stories you want to oh, share? Oh,
2: man. So, yeah, I was born and raised in Detroit. Mm-hmm. I spent 43 years there before I moved to Lansing. And uh, my dad was the manager at Palmer Park Golf Course, which is a public golf course in Detroit. So all the Motown stars, entertainers, executives, they all played golf back in the days. And it was um, pretty much, you know, a black-owned golf course. Well, it was the public city of Detroit, so... At that time, there was only a couple of golf courses that blacks were allowed to play on. Uh, We had Detroit Country Club, but blacks at that time weren't allowed in the country club.
1: And this is when?
2: Oh, we're talking 60s, 70s. And still had the segregated? Oh, yeah. yeah. The only only blacks were allowed in there were workers. And they all would come, and they loved my dad. I mean, my dad was idolized because... My dad was a Harlem Globetrotter, original Harlem Globetrotter. So he was kind of famous, you know, in the circle. So they all knew him.
1: So he was in with the Metalark Lemon Group? Oh, no, before that. Before that? Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. oh, yeah, yeah. He was,
2: wow. he was, him and my uncle, Augustus Finney, uh, they started in, you know, the Parks and Recreation, you know, way back in the <laughs> 30s. And so all these guys knew my dad. And so when they would come, he would let them go out and play golf. So they just loved him. And I got to, you know be friends with him, and I would I would work there. So, like, when Smokey would come in, I, his wife would come, I'd get a cart and take his wife out there, and, you know, they would gamble and play golf, and they'd come back and slip me a 50, you know, for just doing that. <laughs> so that was my little hustle. But I got to, you know, hang out with a lot of those guys and, and become friends with all the Motown stars, uh, uh, you know, Smokey and... Oh, man, everybody, all the Temptations. Um, uh, Barry Gordy, you know, was, was good friends. Uh, so we were, you know, we were pretty good, you know, uh, during those days. It was it was fun to be. My dad didn't want me hanging around because I was, you know, young teenager. And he didn't want to be influenced by these guys because they were gambling <laughs> and drinking and, yeah. you know, smoking out there. You know, he said that was a bad influence. You got to remember, this is uh, early 70s. Um, the guy was just getting ready to start high school. So mm. he didn't want those bad influences to rub off on of me. Cause you know, you see the stars on one side and on behind the stage. They're totally different, you know, when they're all yeah. they're they're just normal people, but they were very nice and very friendly at the time I wasn't 18. So I couldn't get into the clubs back then. Um, you know the Grandy Ballroom and all that, where they played. Uh, but we would stand outside and mm. we could hear the music, you know, from those guys. <laughs> Calling jamming. you, oh gosh! <laughs> you know, just, I couldn't wait till I got eighteen so I can go inside and you know see them.
1: Now, tell me about the first time you heard the blues, and what was your biggest influence or influences as you as you grew up? Golly,
2: well, because I, I you know, born in Detroit, I was right. a Motown guy, so all the r and that was me. But my sister loved blues, and they would go to, the, um, it was uh, Henry's Cocktail Lounge in Detroit. So B.B. King seemed like they would come in there once a month. B.B. Mm-hmm. Uh, King, Otis Rush, uh, all these got Little Milton and uh, Tyrone Davis. You know, all these guys would, would come in, like, once a month, and this this was, like, huge, and they would go, and, you know, I wasn't really into the blues then, because it's like, oh, yeah, this old, same old, somebody died, and, you know, <laughs> blah, 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 this, you know, I was into the R&B, you know, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. the doo-wop era, but I remember, you know, we played it, I lived with my sister, and we played blues all night long, and my dad had these records, and I didn't realize, so he had the original 78s. Hmm. So... B.B. King's Sweet Sixteen, I remember. So I got a hold of that. And when I started playing guitar, I would play these 78s. And I learned Sweet Sixteen. Oh, man, I thought that was the greatest thing since sliced bread. Wow. And I would just play it over and over. And I got that lick down. I mastered it. And I started developing a, a liking for the blues. And, you know, as time would go on, you know, i pick through my sister's albums and records and pick her brain and Start learning about more and more blues artists. But in the earlier days, like I said, I wasn't 18, and at that time you had to be 18 to get into the bars and, and drink liquor and all that. Um, I was 17, so I couldn't get in, and I didn't have the chance to see all these great uh, blues artists. Um, so I kind of missed out you know, on the early blues, but I, I started developing more of an interest in blues and learning more about blues, and all the various different artists due to, you know, my sister, you know, going to all these shows.
1: So, Absolutely. Yeah. And we're, we're going to talk more about BB King too. There, I, I mm-hmm. hear you've got a pretty stellar story. <laughs> I don't know if it'll be on this episode or the next one, but you're here for two. Um, but I, I, I have to ask you, uh, because you, you did, uh, as I read, you were completely self-taught. Yes. Talk yes. about that. It was, it, was it always just fun or, I mean, talk about some of the, some of that journey.
2: Well, yeah. Um, Starting high school, you know, in the 70s, it was all about bands. I mean, you had to be in the – if you're going to be cool, you're going to be in a band. If you were in a band, you're going to be cool. (laughs) You know, you're going to get chicks and, you know, all that good stuff. Yeah. So we would sit outside, and I had a a friend uh, that that played guitar, and, you know, he would teach me. And and actually, um, really, the first person that taught me how to play real guitar was – a gentleman by the name of Dennis Whedon, and he was uh, Glenn Brown's guitar player, and this was early seven, like '70, 70, '71. And funny story. So when we start recording, you know, up here, and I met Glenn, and he brought out these old pictures, and I said, "Wait a minute, that's that's Weed." He said, "Yeah, that was my guitar player." And he showed me these pictures. I said, "This is the guy that taught me how to play." He was a master at Hendrix, so he taught me all the Hendrix licks and the chords and all that, and um, he worked for my dad, you know, for Parks and Recreation um, at the golf course, and then in the wintertime, they worked at the skating rink. So those were, like, some of the early times that I was self-taught. You know, he showed me some things, and then later, I took formal lessons. My mom would take me to uh, Wonderland Music, and <laughs> my teacher... Um, was earl clue oh wow so i was 15 and earl was 17 and i took formal lessons from him so i learned how to kind of read you know uh, music and you know, formally but you know everything else was pretty much self-taught it was a uh, it was an experience and i i actually was at a function oh some 30 years later and earl was there and we sat at the table together and you know, reminisced and he remembered, you know, I'm like, do you remember? He said, yeah, I was a kid. I said, yeah, and I was three years younger than you. <laughs> <laughs> I said, boy, if I had just stuck with it, you know, look, maybe I could have been somebody. <laughs> I think you've done pretty good, man. Yeah, I'm, I'm,
1: I can't <laughs> complain. No. So you've shared the stage with the likes of Larry McRae, um, yes. Coco Montoya, Yes. Tad Benoit. Yes. Go back in your mind, are there any that you wished you could have opened for or shared the stage with?
2: Sure, you always wanna share the stage with some of the A-listers. I mean, I was pretty fortunate and blessed to play with those guys. Mm -hmm. Um, Probably, you know, like Clapton or somebody like that would have been an honor or a privilege. Uh, uh, But, you know, I I guess I never was at that opportune time or, you know, to be able to do that. We just were blessed that these guys, you know, like um, Larry and those guys were local around and would come down and play down here. So we had a chance to, you know, play with those guys.
1: And and it's kind of cool because I know when when Larry came to town to do the fundraiser for the Ukrainian children Mm -hmm. um, earlier in the year, you were there, and I was so upset because I had to go home and go to go to bed to get to work in the morning. Oh. And you were up on stage, oh, and the yeah. only reason I know that is because somebody got pictures of you up there <laughs> with Larry. Yeah. And I know they had to be a blast, oh, it you know, because oh. Larry's just a good guy. Look,
2: you know, I mean, I've known Larry 30 years, um, yeah. and it's always a pleasure, you know, to play with him. You know, I've, I've learned a lot from him. Um, like I said, he's just a nice guy and one of the, the best musicians out there so it's always fun and it's very easy and calming to play with him there's no stress and let you do your thing and you know you sit back there and watch him and it's just very enjoyable so i really enjoy that you know he's one of those artists that doesn't have an ego you know i mean he's so good yeah and he's so humble yes and that's what why a lot of people appreciate him you know and i do you know also um when they would the old um out there on uh, Round Lake Road, the old jambalayas. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. And they would play out there, and you know, I'd come in, and he'd always want me to get up and play. And I'm like, nah, I just want to come out. Oh, come on, man. You know, anytime I'm out here stage. I'm on stage, you make sure you come on up here and play with me. I said, so, okay, you know, I appreciate this. I just enjoy sitting out there listening to you and, and you know, learning. You know, as, as as a musician, you're never too old to learn. And I hear this from a lot of the even the big boys, the A-listers, you know, when they go out and see their, you know, fellow comrades, you know, they um, always pick up something new, and, and I used to read that, you know, like Hendrix would go out to these shows, and he'd sit in the front row, and he'd have a little pad, and he'd write down stuff, oh yeah, <laughs> that guy, he watched watch Buddy Guy, and he would, you know, like, take a lot of his little tricks and tips from him, and, and that's what we do. I mean, we always try to better ourselves, you know, we look at our fellow musicians and try to pick up tips and, you know, tricks to help our craft
1: time-wise yeah uh, you mentioned buddy guy and we just went to see buddy yeah. I, I gotta tell you it was a bucket list thing for yeah. me um but what an honor and a privilege to go and we were 20 feet off the stage my friend we mm-hmm. were sitting from here to your refrigerator away <laughs> watching this man play and oh, yeah. and he was good i mean you you can tell he's slowing down he's 86 now a- 80, yes yeah, so 80. you know i mean <clears throat> he's entitled sure You know, but he still put on one hell of a show. I mean, you figure somebody has been doing
2: this over 60 years, Mm -hmm. 70 70 years, you know. um, Well, you know, you're bound to slow down. Yeah. All the great, you know, blues artists that he played with and the shows on the road, I remember... um, you were saying like they used to do like three hundred shows a year.
1: That's crazy. I can't even imagine. I,
2: no, I can't either. I can't even imagine. That's you're pretty much playing every night, you know. Just about, yeah. Throughout the year, and you're traveling, and then they travel on the bus. Mm. So you're going across country, you know, and even when you fly
1: over overseas, I mean that
2: that takes a toll on you after so many years.
1: Oh, I can imagine. Yeah, and I mean, yeah, he. He still, he went out in a crowd, and oh, yeah. I walked over to the walkway when he was coming back, and he was, yeah. he was like from media to away, and he sat there and just started jamming in front of me for like 10 <laughs> seconds. I'm like, oh, dude, this is so cool, you know? know. Yeah. And I'm snapping pictures with my cell phone, because that's all they let us have. Right, I know. Which killed me as a photographer, because I would have been happy as all get out to take pictures of that concert and send them to him and his people and, sure. and say, hey, here, sure. share them, do what you want.
2: Yeah, I get it, but yeah.
1: You know it was it was such a cool thing sure. and, it, and it truly was a a bucket list um opportunity for me, oh yeah oh, so yeah. if you ever get a chance before buddy retires completely, go see him well worth it definitely um and if you don't, I have a feeling he's going to be one of those guys that retires kind of like Freddie yeah. you know and then you see him pop up here and there
2: well you know? the, the cool thing about it you know we go to Chicago a lot yeah least you know, I mean, say and um we all, every time we go, we go to his club. So I, you know, I played at Legends before, and um, we happened to be the last time we went. I think last year, and we were just sitting there, and all of a sudden, you know, MC walked up and stopped the, you know, the band leader, and said, "Hey," whispered in his ear, and all of a sudden the band kicks up, and Buddy walks up on the stage, and we're sitting right there at the corner of the stage, and I'm like. Oh man buddy guy you know he's there live so we see yeah. him live in his club which is great yeah. you know um you know that was an honor right there to see him you know like recently you know uh before he retires you know yeah and oh he, yeah and he still he, like you said he slowed down he talks more yes yeah, know. yeah. But, but he but he still played but he still lot. plays you yeah know. he'll throw those licks out there in, and,
1: and <clears throat> the cool thing that he did and this goes back to your days of living in Detroit um he he talked about when blues first came out. It didn't break out in the US. It broke out in Europe. Europe. Yeah. Because the US was so hung up on color, they didn't want to hear it. No. And that's where Hendrix caught his break. And that's mm-hmm. where some of the other big names caught mm-hmm. their break was over in Europe. Mm-hmm. And I thought, man, what a what a sad testimony on our on our society of that day. Yeah, it's 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 you know, it's kinda.
2: I mean, it's a lot better, but the Europeans, they had a different perspective on music. You know, they didn't look at color. And and not saying that, you know, racism is all over the world, but they had a different uh, perspective on music. And if you're oh, yeah. good, they didn't care. Yeah. You know, black, blue, yellow, green, you know, they were there for the music, and they
1: supported
2: it. Where
1: So, uh, so much so that uh, he told the story that, Mick Jagger was invited to play in the United States. Mm-hmm. He said, "As long as I can bring Hendricks with me, sure. Yeah. If not, okay. no, I won't. Yeah. I won't come." Yeah,
2: and that was the only reason why he really came back, uh, because they, you know, they just wouldn't support him in in the early days, and it it hurt. And I understand that it, you know, you're from here, you're in your own home, you know, New York, you know, like I said, where he's from, and yeah. they just did not support him and. Like, man, you're doing everything, you're pulling out everything, but the kitchen sink, and the people just wouldn't support you. So you have to leave the country to go where they supported you. And and the blues artists did the same thing. I mean, they would bring them over, they pay them. Even today, they still bring these guys over to Europe, and they do these massive shows, and that's the only way that they can actually make a decent living is out of the country. And that's that, that's sad, you know.
1: Yeah, and I, you know, I was just going to say that I've noticed that they do a lot of out-of-country blues events. Right. Um, I think Thornetta and John Primer just came back. They were in yeah. uh, Sweden, that was it? Yeah, yeah. At a, at a big event in Sweden. Yeah. Uh, and that was right after the Blues
2: Awards. Well, Cherie Williams, you know, they're over there right now. You know, it's like, wow, they can't get this, these kind of shows here in America, but they can go across the pond and kill them. Isn't that crazy? I know it is. You know, that it's, is, it's sad. That's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> and all the music originated from here. From
1: here, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, don't,
2: I, I can't figure it out.
1: And almost every genre of music has been affected. Yes. And, yes. and has been molded yes. in, this, in its infancy by the blues. All the blues, you know, all the rock artists. Every song you listen
2: to is a blues. The, the hits were originally blues song written by the blues legends. And they become multi-millionaires off of these songs where the original artists, the writers
1: couldn't get a dime off, them. you know, it's, that's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. That's absolutely yeah. crazy. Yeah. yeah. We've got so much more to talk about here. We've got a couple of minutes left. Um, I, and I want to talk to you about the Root Doctor band, but I think we're going to wait till the next episode because there's so much there. Oh, man, I got stories. <laughs> good,
2: good stories. Well, oh, yeah, good yeah, stories. yeah.
1: You know, and that's the thing about the Root Doctor band. I don't think I've ever, 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 and I'm, I'm being straight here, mm-hmm. never heard a negative word about oh. any member of that band, up, up to and including Freddie. Trust
2: me, I wouldn't be where I'm at right now if it wasn't for Root Doctor. So I, you know, I pay homage to those guys. I tip my hat, you know, I'm so thankful for them giving me the opportunity to, you know, express my craft, you know, with them. And man, we we traveled all the Michigan roads.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and as a matter of fact, I think we're going to hear that uh, that song here in just a minute. But it, again, my guest is uh, Bill Malone. And uh, Bill, it's it's an honor to have you with me. Uh, we are going to uh, definitely have a second conversation uh, A second helping, if you will. Oh, please. And uh, there's so much more to talk about. So do me a favor, everybody. (laughs) Tune in. We are going to be uh, from that secret location (laughs) in the only Eaton Rapids on Earth. And we will be back.
0: This has been Time Signatures with Jim Irvin, presented by the Capital Area Blues Society in Lansing, Michigan. For more information on cabs, visit capitalareablues.org. We appreciate you joining us today. And we welcome your comments about the show by emailing time Signatures at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook at Cabs Time
2: you know, yeah.
0: Until next time, keep the blues alive.